Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Tonight on The Readout. He was actually willing to do whatever it took to stay in power. And and I think, although I certainly regret my support for him, um, there's no question now that anyone could say, we don't know what he'll do. You know, maybe, maybe we can trust that he'll uphold the Constitution. Every day he tells us what he'll do. Liz Cheney speaks of her regret for supporting Trump for years and warned about the consequences if Trump returns to the White House. And there is a very interesting new filing from special counsel Jack Smith regarding Trump's long history of lying about election fraud going all the way back to 2012. Also tonight, one of Trump's Georgia co-defendants, remember the one who used to work for Kanye, may have jeopardized her bond by appearing to threaten witness Ruby Freeman on Instagram. But we begin tonight with making the case against Donald Trump as more and more warnings about the dangers of a second Trump presidency pile up. A new legal filing today in special counsel Jack Smith's election subversion case shows prosecutors hope to present a more sweeping range of evidence of Trump's lies about election fraud than previously thought. In this new filing, federal prosecutors say the government will offer evidence reflecting the defendant's historical record of making such claims For example, as early as November 2012, the defendant issued a public tweet making baseless claims that voting machines had switched votes from then-candidate Romney to then-candidate Obama. During the 2016 presidential campaign, the defendant claimed repeatedly, with no basis, that there was widespread voter fraud, including through public statements and tweets. The defendant's false claims about the 2012 and 2016 elections are admissible, the office of Jack Smith says, because they demonstrate the defendant's common plan of falsely blaming fraud for election results he does not like, as well as his motive, intent, and plan to obstruct the certification of the 2020 election results and illegitimately retain power. The new filing also shows that prosecutors intend to tie Trump to the violence on January 6th more deliberately than in the government's August indictment against Trump, writing that evidence of the defendant's post-conspiracy embrace of particularly violent and notorious rioters is admissible to establish the defendant's motive and intent on January 6th that he sent supporters, including groups like the Proud Boys, whom he knew were angry and whom he now calls patriots, to the Capitol to achieve the criminal objective of obstructing the congressional certification. The nine-page filing argues that allowing certain evidence predating his alleged crime is relevant to illustrate Trump's motive and intent. And it comes as one of Trump's former congressional investigators turned chief critic within the Republican Party continues to sound the alarm about a potential second Trump dictatorship. The challenge that we're facing now is is very clearly understanding and recognizing he means what he says. The people who invaded the Capitol, frankly, on January 6th, 
you know, you can look at scores of those defendants who have said specifically, we came because he told us Mm -hmm. to come. He told us to do this. He knows that people will follow his instructions. And if he's elected again, those guardrails, those, those individuals, for example, who stopped him won't be there. And think about what it means to have a president who won't enforce the rulings of the courts. It's insane. It, 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 it will be the unraveling of our, of our constitutional system. Liz Cheney told my friend and colleague Nicole Wallace that she would do whatever it takes to defeat Donald Trump. But she's also not ruling out running for president herself. She told The Washington Post she's weighing a potential third party run, saying we face threats that could be existential to the United States. And we need a candidate who's going to be able to deal with and address and confront all of those challenges. According to Cheney, a major threat is the Trump enablers who control the House, including House Speaker Mike Johnson, and the possibility that he and the rest of the MAGA loyalists in the House would try to subvert election results in January 2025 if Trump is, in fact, the Republican nominee. In the meantime, House Republicans are doing their part to subvert the election in real time, moving forward with a vote to formalize an impeachment inquiry into President Biden, still with no evidence. The House is expected to vote next week before leaving town for the holiday recess. Over the weekend, House Oversight Chairman James Comer expressed confidence that what's left of the House Republican moderates, whatever that means at this point, will get on board with a vote this time because of angry constituents at Walmart over the Thanksgiving holiday. He also continues to roll out increasingly mind-melting justifications for their evidence-free impeachment, including what he called new evidence claiming Hunter Biden was funneling money to his father, which friend of the show David Korn pointed out was actually reported months ago and doesn't look like anything like an impeachable offense. That's bull crap. Look, if if he wanted to send his money to his son for a truck, then send him money for his truck. But he got paid back from China. So it doesn't matter whether all this money we're showing that's going into Joe Biden's back pocket was a loan or not, which it wasn't. You can loan people money. If they pay you back, then you you benefited directly. (laughs) Meanwhile, one Donald Trump superfan, Republican sycophant in the House, Texas Congressman Troy Nels, who you'd be forgiven for not remembering as the one who led a push to nominate Donald Trump as House Speaker. Well, Troy Nels went ahead and said the quiet part out loud about the real reason for the Republican push for impeachment. He told USA Today that if the twice impeached Trump is, in fact, the Republican nominee, he wants to give Trump, quote, a little bit of ammo to fire back and say that Biden has also been impeached. Joining me now is Republican former Congressman Charlie Dent of Pennsylvania and Christina Greer, associate professor of political science at Fordham University and Moynihan Public Scholars Fellow at the city College of New York. Thank you both for being here. Uh, Charlie Dent, I do want to start with you. And let's go back. I want to go back to this filing. Uh, It's very short. Everyone should take a chance to read it. It's only seven pages long. In it, um, what Jack Smith is laying out is that Donald Trump didn't just start being an election denier when he lost. He started back in 2012 when Mitt Romney lost. I want to play a little bit of Donald Trump um, in 2016, four years after that, and in 2020, doing what Jack Smith says he did, which is continuing to say he will only accept election results that favor him. Win, lose, or draw in this election, will you commit here today for a peaceful, 
transferal of power after the election. And there has been rioting in Louisville, there's been rioting in many cities across this country, red and your so-called red and blue states. Will you commit to making sure that there is a peaceful transferal of power after the election? Well, we're going to have to see what happens. You know that I've been complaining very strongly about the ballots, and the ballots are a disaster. I want to ask you here on the stage tonight, do you make the same commitment that you will absolutely, sir, that you will absolutely accept the result of this election? I will look at it at the time. This, this seems <laughs> relevant because it, it, there is a trend that Donald Trump does not accept elections that don't go the way he wants them. Well, that is certainly true. He may be the first candidate in American history to claim voter fraud when he won. Uh, I mean, so that's that there's that point. Uh, but yeah, this this filing by Jack Smith just rehashes all the, the greatest hits, refusal to commit to a peaceful transfer of power, uh, falsely claiming fraud where there really wasn't any of any significance. Uh, and so it's but we've heard many times before, you know, telling the Proud Boys to stand back and stand down mm -hmm. how he more or less instigated them and basically supported them in their attack on the Capitol. So I just think this reinforces Jack Smith's case. And I, I wouldn't want to be Donald Trump and his lawyers right now because yeah. I think it's a pretty powerful argument. And, Christina, I mean, the thing, it, it kind of does show you what bonds Donald Trump to his base, right? The reason that Donald Trump claimed fraud in 2016 is that he lost the popular vote. And so he said, well, that couldn't have happened. There had to have been three million illegal aliens voting in California because there is an accept, there is a, a, a disgruntlement among certain people in this country that demographically it's very difficult for Republicans to win the national popular vote just because the demographics don't work out for them that way and they're mad about it. Right. This is why they love the Electoral College still. I mean, but I think no one was more surprised that Donald Trump won than Donald Trump. I mean, that's why he was adamant during the debates that he would not necessarily support uh, the rule of law uh, during the 2016 election. And then when it actually did go his way through the Electoral College, he says, oh, OK. But as Charlie said, on the one hand, he's saying there's massive widespread election fraud, but he's also benefiting from it. So, I mean, this is persistent, consistent Donald Trump. He's the hero and the victim of his own story. And sadly, we have far too many Republicans. I'm looking at you, Liz Cheney, who went along and continue to still go along with too many of his antics. And we're getting dangerously close to a November 2024 deadline where Donald Trump realistically could be the Republican nominee and, and win. Uh, another term in the presidency, which uh, bodes horribly for our Democratic Republic, Joy. And Charlie, did, what, do you, what do you make of the fact that Liz Cheney says she will do anything in her power to stop Donald Trump from winning, but she won't say she'll vote for Joe Biden? She's contemplating running herself. She's sort of, she's kind of hedging on what she will do to stop him, because it doesn't seem like saying, well, I'll vote for Biden was one of the things that she would be willing to say she'll do. Well, yeah, I think one of the challenges that House Republicans faced over the years, I was one of the few. I did not support Trump in 2016. I voted for Joe Biden in 2020. I did it all publicly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I found that too many of my former colleagues, you know, felt as I did, but didn't want to say it publicly. They'd rather stay in behind closed doors and complain to each other, yeah. which did no good. But that's what their thinking was. But now, look, I'm, I'm glad Liz is where she is. She's been very brave and heroic. And uh, I, I would like to, I, frankly, I think would be useful if she did try to run. That would be my own thought. But uh, if, it's a, if it's a binary choice, though, Trump, yeah. Biden, I would choose Biden. But it may not be a binary choice. And there are a lot of Republicans like me, and I suspect Liz Cheney and others would like to be able to vote for somebody right. that we're more comfortable with. Now, I understand the arguments against, but sure. no labels is helping to develop a, uh, uh, a ballot uh, access strategy uh, that would uh, allow an independent candidate to run. 
Well, let me ask you this question, because when Liz Cheney said it in her interview with Nicole Wallace, she's like, I supported the policies. Whenever I hear someone say that, I always would like to know what policies, what policies of Donald Trump do Republicans say they would vote for him to continue? Other than the tax reform, I'm really not sure, uh, because I've often said I, I did not support Trump and I did not support a lot of his policies. I did not support his view on NATO. I did not support his uh, protectionist trade views. I got a long list of things he did uh, that were really annoying to me as a matter of, I thought, Republican. It was a Republican litmus test sure. on trade, for example. And people just went along with this naked uh, protectionism, then yeah. subsidies for agriculture. I mean, all sorts of things that he had endorsed that I thought were wrongheaded and flew in the face of uh, re- Republican uh, principles. Just his whole turning back on the international order that Republican yeah. presidents, Ronald Reagan most notably, uh, defended fiercely. And Trump was just in the wrong place. It, it is interesting. I would love for somebody to tell me what policies they meant, because, right, I think if, if you're the for what he was doing or against it, then there's the authoritarianism. Let's just play a little bit of that. I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. We pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. Nobody has ever seen anything like we're witnessing right now. It is a very sad thing for our country. Uh, It's poisoning the blood of our country. Very simply, if you rob a store, you can fully expect to be shot as you are leaving that store. Shot. I mean, Christina, this is, you know, the poisoning the blood stuff sounds like Nazi talk, to be honest with you. On top of that, he's also nursing these conspiracy theories that somehow the federal government is who really did January 6th. He was they're cheering on January 6th. What is he talking about? Why, as a a political scientist, is that such a powerful argument for people or at least not an argument to vote against someone? Yeah, Joy. Well, there are a few things going on here. One, we've we've really never seen any candidate like Donald Trump, someone who attacks his own party. I mean, that's he's just he is unlike uh, other candidates in a lot of ways. Two, we know that so many people in this country are ahistoric. So the use of vermin when you're talking about, you know, in the blood, these are things that we, you know, some of us who study history remember from the 1930s and 40s. uh, And it's clear as day to us, but not to others. And then this third piece, Joy, that's really troubling is that when you think about white evangelicals, they actually do see Donald Trump as essentially their savior. And so when he starts using this religious type language um, that is kind of fire and brimstone, uh, that is actually quite popular with Republican primary voters. Now, in the past, we've always seen voters go to the issue, go to the polls based on pocketbook issues financially. How do you feel? Charlie mentioned tax breaks. Lots of Democrats love those Trump tax breaks as well. Uh, quite as kept. But we know that Donald Trump's policies didn't trickle down to the vast majority of Republicans who are his diehard supporters. And so in many ways, it's just uh, white supremacy that is feeding this. I mean, Lyndon Baines Johnson told us all about it uh, when he talked about, you know, being uh, the white man's pockets as long as you can help them think that they're better than the Negro. And so Donald Trump has tapped into you know, all of these things simultaneously uh, to, to say nothing. Of, you know, he's been in people's living room, living rooms for about 25, 30 years as yeah. this successful person, which we all know he hasn't been. And so it's a it's a perfect storm uh, when also you have a feckless Republican Party who will say in, in behind closed doors, we really don't like this. 
but obviously won't ever stand up to Donald Trump when it matters. Before we go over very quickly, Charlie Dent, what do you make of the fact that they're now admitting on the Republican side that, and Trump is admitting, that the only reason they want to impeach Biden is to make it even, Stephen, so that people can say they're both impeached? Well, they haven't done a very good job making the impeachment argument. They made a good impeachment. You know, they made a good argument to impeach Hunter Biden, but you know, he's not a federal <laughs> official. So, uh, but this is their problem. And, you know, they, they, they were starting to move down that track. Yeah. And then the speaker got re- removed from office and they lost their momentum. So I just think they want to have this arrow in their quiver. I'm not yeah. sure it helps so much. Yeah. It might actually help Biden a little bit. Yeah. Uh, up next. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Charlie Dent, Christina Greer. Thank you both very much. Up next on the readout, Trump's civil fraud trial may be winding down. But wait, there's more, plenty more to keep his attorneys busy and give the rest of us hope that someday he may be held accountable for his treasonous activities. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Okay, I am not a lawyer, but even I know that if you are under indictment and facing a trial, it is best not to speak publicly about the case for fear of hurting one's own defense. We all know Donald Trump has not learned that lesson, leading to two gag orders being put in place. And some of his co-defendants in the Georgia election interference case have decided to follow his lead. There is Harrison Floyd, the leader of Black Voices for Trump, who almost saw his bond agreement revoked last month following a series of social media posts that prosecutors argued intimidated and threatened witnesses in the case. And now Trevian Kuti, the former publicist for Kanye West, appears to be doing the same. Kuti, you may remember, faces charges involving pressuring Georgia election worker Ruby Freeman to falsely confess to Trump's baseless voter fraud claims or face dire consequences. Last week, Kuti took to Instagram Live and, while never referring to Freeman by name, appeared to directly threaten her. Everybody's alive. There's no murder weapon. As a matter of fact, there's a woman sitting somewhere who knows this whole thing is a lie. Who knows I never did anything to her? Who knows I never, who knows she begged me for help? There's a woman sitting somewhere who knows that I'm going to her whole life up when this is done. Joining me now is Katie Fang, host of the Katie Fang show on MSNBC. I think we're both SMHing. This was her mugshot. The other thing she said in this live is that she practiced this, <laughs> that this was purposeful. For two and that she hours. Wanted, mm-hmm, she wanted to look like this. Yeah. Mm. I'm just going to mm. let you talk, Katie, because I, I, I'm not a lawyer, but I know that was dumb to do an Instagram live and basically threaten the witness maybe again. Go ahead. Talk. So when I was a prosecutor, Joy, I used to tell juries, 
I can't promise to give you a smart defendant, but I'm giving you a defendant. And that's Chevion Cootie, right? She's not a smart defendant. None of them can be smart if they drank the Trump Kool-Aid and helped Fair. in a conspiracy to, to do what they did, right? But Chevion Cootie, you, you mentioned it in the setup, right? The one possible out she may have is that she didn't actually refer to Ruby Freeman by name. But we're not stupid, and neither is Judge McAfee, and certainly not DA Fonnie Willis. And so the reason why I say that is Fonnie Willis could seek revocation of Trevion Cootie's bond status because her bond conditions that Cootie stipulated to, meaning she agreed to, is that she's not allowed to threaten, intimidate, harass any victim, any witness, any co-defendant in the case. Um, but what's problematic is she posts on social media as well. It's not just Instagram Live. She posts on Twitter as well. And so she's just inviting more trouble. And she is, a, it's, it's an indication of a systemic problem that we're having with these co-defendants in Fulton County, running from Trump to Harrison Floyd to Travion Cootie. They don't keep their mouths shut. They're <laughs> making the case easier for Fonnie Willis. Why? Because why would Trevion Cootie be threatening somebody if she didn't think that there was some exposure to her if that person opens their mouth and they testify? The other stupidity that comes into play with Trevion Cootie, as well as Harrison Floyd, they're being prosecuted as a part of a larger RICO conspiracy, but she's being prosecuted for threatening Ruby Freeman. What does she do on Instagram Live? Threaten Ruby Freeman. I mean, it's consistency. At least I'll give her the gold star for that, but I'll definitely give her an F for intelligence when it comes to dealing with a criminal prosecution. You know, uh, black on black crime is way before its time. It, it, it strikes me that these two black defendants, uh, two blacks for Trump, both seem obsessed with Ruby Freeman and her daughter. It wasn't enough for them to allegedly harass them and cause them to get death threats, joining um, the former mayor of New York in doing that, and he's getting sued for it, Rudy. If that wasn't enough, they seem obsessed with them. Could that become an issue? Because he, Mr. Blacks for Trump, avoided being jailed. He got he got through. Could this judge now be so fed up that he decides to make an example of Ms. Kuti? No, because you can't be the sins of another cannot be imputed to you. So McAfee's not going to punish Kuti if the law isn't met, if the standard isn't met by Fonnie Willis. But is it kind of setting the tone for prospective jurors to see that these defendants are so reckless that they're willing to continue their intimidation and harassment tactics to be able to achieve an end goal? Because the end goal is to intimidate them to not testify. But, you know, the one thing that we find, Joy, is that somebody like Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss, they've already stood up. Mm -hmm. to this intimidation. They've already said, not on my watch, not, I won't let democracy be hurt by you. And so it's foolish, right? If you think about it, it's not like they haven't already been tested, Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss, and they've already delivered what they can and which they will continue to do, which is justice. Uh, let me add one more thing very quickly. Jack Smith, there is this new filing here today, but there's also a story that Jack Smith intends to indicate, uh, to in introduce evidence that Trump has been lying about elections and voting procedures from at least 2012. We talked about it in the previous segment. What do you make of this filing that he's going to now introduce his prior claims of election fraud dating all the way back to 2012 before he was even a candidate? So this is a really fascinating, uh, I guess, uh, piece of ammunition in the arsenal of a prosecutor. 404B normally, it's a rule of evidence, says 
You cannot introduce evidence of prior bad acts, crimes, or bad conduct of a defendant because we don't want juries to convict a defendant because it seems like they have a propensity to commit a crime of a certain nature. However, in this particular instance, when you have the facts of another crime or bad conduct, that is, quote, inextricably intertwined, meaning Jack Smith can't tell the full story of the commission of what happened on 1-6 in terms of the indictment that Donald Trump is facing. A judge can allow that evidence to come in. Another situation where that evidence comes in is when you're going to say, you know what? It wasn't like Donald Trump was just walking along and he stumbled onto an insurrection. It wasn't (laughs) like he was just walking along and he stumbled onto a conspiracy. And so the judge can allow the evidence in to say, Donald Trump had this plan or the scheme that has spanned years. It started in 2012. It culminated in 2021, even into 2022. It continues to this day. And so a judge can allow a prosecutor to let that evidence in. So a jury understands there was no mistake. It was a plan. It was motive. It was all consistent conduct. And that's the reason why it can be introduced. Uh, We love chatting with uh, Katie Fang. Thank you so much, my friend. Much appreciated for helping us unpack all this Stupidity and mess. (laughs) Thank you. And still ahead. Israeli forces carry out the most intense assaults and airstrikes on Gaza so far amid skyrocketing concerns about the civilian casualties. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Israeli troops entered Khan Yunus today, which is the first target in Israel's expanded ground offensive in southern Gaza claiming they were engaged in the most intense day of battle since the ground war began nearly a month ago. The attack has been, a fer- has been ferocious and includes areas where Palestinians have been told to seek shelter. According to the Associated Press, a strike today destroyed a house where dozens of displaced people were sheltering. At least 34 people were killed, including at least six children. An AP reporter at the hospital counted the bodies. Israel claims they must dismantle the extensive military infrastructure of Hamas after they launched their October 7th surprise attack, where militants killed some 1,200 men, women, and children. Although, as the Washington Post reports today, the militant group remains largely intact. Gaza civilians, however, are paying the price, with more than 15,000 killed so far, mostly women and children. A senior Israeli intelligence officer told an independent magazine in the region that the goal was to kill as many Hamas operatives as possible, for which the criteria around harming Palestinian civilians was significantly relaxed. According to the UN's humanitarian office, the past few days have brought some of the heaviest bombardments so far, leaving apocalyptic scenes in Gaza. NBC News reports that on Monday, the main telecom company said all services were shut down in central and southern Gaza. However, services were restored today. Humanitarian agencies and first responders have warned that blackouts jeopardize rescue efforts and the distribution of aid. 
Over the weekend, Vice President Kamala Harris conducted talks with regional players about the challenging issue of what happens after this is over. Several Biden administration sources told David Rothkopf of the Daily Beast that a key component will require a change of government in Israel. While few expect a government to be radically different from that of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, it is fair to say that all see his likely departure following cessation of hostilities in Gaza as a positive development. To that point, Netanyahu's corruption trial resumed on Monday. According to polling conducted in November, his popularity has plummeted in Israel. Last week, The New York Times reported that Israeli forces were warned of the October 7th attack more than a year ago. Many Israelis blame his government for the failure. And joining me now is David Rothkopf, columnist for The Daily Beast and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. David, good to see you. Let's talk about the Netanyahu factor. He is now facing a corruption trial. It was on hold uh, while hostilities were being conducted, but it is back on. Talk a little bit about how the administration sees him, because they sure did bear hug him in the beginning. Well, I think, uh, to be fair, they bear hugged Israel. I think the response of the president was uh, that the Israeli people had gone through a horrific trauma uh, and that the United States, which has long been allied with Israel, uh, would step up and defend its friend. Uh, I don't think there was any love lost between them and Netanyahu even early on here. Uh, but what's happened over the course of the past couple of months is that Netanyahu has uh, systematically ignored the warnings of the United States to stick within the rules of international warfare. Uh, and as you said, the toll in Gaza has been horrifically high. The problem is Netanyahu is very unpopular in Israel and is likely to lose his job when the fighting stops. So what does that mean for him? He wants the fighting to go on. He's got an incentive to drag this out. Uh, and of course, the longer he does that, the higher the toll in Gaza and the more tension between the United States and the Israelis. And I think that's a big problem that's looming days or weeks from now. Uh, and that is, when does this reach a breaking point? When can the United States no longer tolerate a situation? You know, you mentioned the number of deaths. Um, tens of thousands have been injured. 1.8 million Gazans out of 2.2 million have had to leave their homes. 100,000 buildings in Gaza have already been destroyed. And there's every sign that the fighting in the South is going to be more intense and the civilian tolls are going to be higher. Um, the change in the administration's rhetoric um, has been really led in some ways by uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. I want to read what her message was um, sort of behind the scenes uh, to the Israelis. And it says the strong behind the scenes message to the Israelis is that as the Gaza campaign continues in the south, it must learn the lessons of the north. As for the West Bank, the conversation is said to have referenced U.S. concerns regarding Israeli settler efforts to appropriate more land in the region, as well as growing violence in the region between settlers and Palestinian residents. You know, we've seen settlement activity continue and really accelerate in the West Bank while Gaza is being pummeled uh, and settlers attacking Palestinian residents and throwing them off of their land, et cetera, planting their flag and taking people's homes. Does the United States have any leverage to stop that? This is not something new. This has been going on for a long time. It's only an accelerated practice. Can the United States do anything about it? Well, the United States has leverage, of course. The United States provides a lot of aid to Israel. Um, and the United States is seen as Israel's 
key ally in the world. The United States could withhold some of that. Thus far, the United States has not been willing to do that. The question is, how far can Netanyahu push this administration? Uh, I think when the vice president was in the Middle East, you know, she spoke with a whole array of regional leaders, plus the president of Israel, plus the head of the Palestinian Authority. And I think the message from the regional leaders was, you know, we'd like to help look at a solution. But first, the fighting has got to stop. Then there's got to be a political change. And it's got to affect both Gaza and uh, the West Bank. And ultimately, we need to see both of those parts of the world under one authority. Netanyahu, for 20 years, has been trying to pry apart the Palestinian people, weaken them by pitting Hamas against the Palestinian authorities. And and that's got to stop. There's no way to have a political solution unless there is one legitimate government speaking for the Palestinians. Uh, we have uh, the prospect of potentially having uh, a president who is under mo uh, multiple indictments. Here is what Netanyahu is facing, uh, accusation of fraud and breach of trust. He and his wife received lavished payments from prominent individuals in return for political favors. Uh, another fraud and breach of trust cases in exchange for uh, favorable legislation. He would slow the growth of a rival newspaper. There's fraud, breach of trust and bribery. Uh, Netanyahu granted regulatory favors to Israel's leading telecom company in exchange for positive coverage. If he gets convicted, then what? Well, you know, I, I think Netanyahu's going to have to leave office um, sooner um, uh, rather than later. I think, you know, at the end of this fighting, I think that maybe in a matter of a couple of months, he may only have a few months more than that. Uh, but once he leaves office, the question is what replaces him. It is unlikely to be a radically different government. It may not have him. It may not have some of his more odious cabinet members, uh, but it is likely to still have a substantial component from the right. And it is still going to be resistant to the kind of changes that are necessary for long-term stability. And that has to do with getting to a two-state solution. And that is the answer that everyone knows is the answer that no one can seem to get to. David Rothkopf, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. And Thank coming you. up, cheers, coming up, Florida Republicans try to figure out what to do about the rape allegation against their leader, Christian Ziegler, as we learn more about the power couples tied to anti-LGBTQ organizations. A full update is straight ahead. The Florida Republican Party is in crisis mode over a scandal that has officially spun out of control. We brought you the story last night. Remember, this is the Florida Republican Party chairman, Christian Ziegler, who is under criminal investigation for allegations related to sexual battery, including rape. This is according to a complaint filed with the Sarasota Police Department. A heavily redacted 13-page police report released Thursday includes mention of rape and the phrase sexual battery. Ziegler has denied the allegations, and his attorney said in a statement that, quote, Mr. Ziegler has been fully cooperative with every request made by the Sarasota Police Department, and we are confident that once the police investigation is concluded, that no charges will be filed and Mr. Ziegler will be completely exonerated. The investigation began with a 911 call from a friend of the alleged victim who was worried about her well-being. Back in October, the friend requested a wellness check for the alleged victim. We have partially redacted audio of that call, which was obtained and first published by the Florida Center for Government Accountability, who broke this story. 
The Sarasota Police Department has not confirmed the call. Tell me exactly what happened. So this friend of mine, she has struggled with addiction for a while. Um, and it's just gotten worse and worse uh-huh. a couple months. Um, but she's telling me she won't talk to anyone else. She won't answer anyone else at work except for me. But she told me she was raped yesterday. Um, and that she's scared to leave her house. But she's saying she's scared that the, the person who raped her came to her house and she's, that she's scared to leave. The story gets even thornier because Christian Ziegler is married to Bridget Ziegler. She is the co-founder of Moms for Liberty, the extremist group on the front lines of the educational culture wars. Their mission is to ban any book that mentions race, gender, sexual orientation, or diversity outside of their narrow scope of white, Christian, heterosexual humanity. The Florida Center for Government Accountability was also able to obtain a search warrant affidavit related to the crisis to the Chris Ziegler rape allegations. The Washington Post described its contents, reporting that, quote, in early October, the alleged victim had agreed to have a sexual encounter with Ziegler that was to include his wife, Bridget, the affidavit says. But when the woman learned that Bridget couldn't make it, she changed her mind and canceled. When Ziegler told her in one message that his wife was no longer available, she replied, sorry, I was mostly in it for her. She said in a message, according to the affidavit, Bridget Ziegler was not named in the complaint against her husband, but the affidavit said that she confirmed having a sexual encounter with the victim and Christian over a year ago and that it only happened one time. Quite the confession from someone who espouses the anti-LGBTQ agenda that she and her Moms for Liberty cohorts are famous for. Even more insidious, Bridget Ziegler is part of the crusade to empower Christian institutions to overhaul public education in Florida. Back in April, Ziegler proposed using the firm Vermilion Education to review the county's lesson plans, texts, library books, and policies. But opponents of the firm were concerned with its connection to Hillsdale College, a conservative Christian school that has a strong foothold in the state. The board eventually voted against hiring Vermilion. Here's what Ziegler said right after the board rejected her proposal. When we talk about banning books all the time, I mean, that is constantly used. That's not happening. We have staff, we saw a whole process actually work its way through here. When we use that kind of rhetoric and that language, it's wrong and it creates division and it's unfair. And we that, that that's what derails us. And that's a lot of why bringing in someone to kind of look through things to say, hey, we've got a clean bill of health or there's some areas that we could improve upon that keeps us out of the fire. And when we come back, we'll hear from one of Bridget Ziegler's peers at that meeting, Sarasota School Board member Tom Edwards, along with the reporter who blew this story wide open. Joining me now is Bob Norman, news director at the Florida Center for Government Accountability, and Tom Edwards, who is a member of the school board in Sarasota County, Florida. Thank you both for being here. Bob Norman, congrats on on breaking this story. What do we know about the relationship between the alleged victim and this couple? How far does it go back, and how did you all find out about this case? Well, thanks for having me on, Joy. Um, The relationship as we know, it comes from the affidavit that you mentioned before and, and from the recorded uh, messages and, and phone calls between uh, Mr. Ziegler and the victim. And what we understand is they've known each other, Christian and the victim, for 20 years. Um, not extremely close, but they've definitely known each other for 20 years. 
And the other thing we know is that more than a year ago, some point more than a year ago, uh, the Zigglers, Christian and Bridget, had a three-way sexual encounter with the woman. And that's just about it in terms of, of the relationship. In terms of how we got the story, just great sourcing, uh, mostly from my colleague in Sarasota, Michael Barfield, who's the director of public access, um, who originally dug it up. And then we just got together and started putting the pieces together and, and got it mm -hmm. out there. Um, and we're glad you did. Tom Edwards, uh, it, the irony of this is striking. Uh, the Zieglers have been at the forefront of the Don't Say Gay law. Um, they are allies of Governor Ron DeSantis until he recently called for Mr. Ziegler to step down. I want to play a moment from a school board meeting in which you were involved. This was in March on March 7, when you were slandered and then ended up walking out of the meeting because no one intervened. Take a listen. Mr. Edwards appears to be a lawbreaker and an LGBTQ groomer. I'm calling for an investigation into Mr. Edwards and the details surrounding his working from the inside to bring about his woke agenda. What Tom stands for and what Tom wants to do to our children in this school district isn't what a majority of what... Scott, Scott, everyone, excuse me, calm down. You, There have been multiple comments about lots of different people. If we just allow the people to speak and move forward, it, we cannot... You, the picking and choosing... I'm sorry, I'm not going to sit here and allow... <laughs> And I will note that those were actually two different meetings. There was a meeting on March 7, and then there was a meeting March 21 when you walked out. Talk about what the Zieglers have been trying to do and implement in the Sarasota school board, a uh, school district. And also why you walked out. Well, Joy, thanks so much for having me on. Um, I walked out because the ugly hate uh, LGBTQ plus rhetoric didn't affect me personally, although it was directed at me because I'm a member of the LGBTQ plus community, what I was most concerned about is our children and our LGBTQ plus children that would hear that ugly rhetoric and think that they were gonna grow up to be groomers or pedophiles, and that's unacceptable to me. And so I asked Mrs. Ziegler to shut down the meeting and to shut down the comments. She refused, and so I had to figure out quickly on my feet, how can I get this meeting and ugly rhetoric to stop? So I got up and walked out. And sure enough, that's what caught, what stopped it. I did it to protect our students, protect our students, friends and our community from that ugly hate speech. You were also in the meeting where uh, Ms. Ziegler tried to get Vermillion hired to consult to the school board and implement what really amounts to a, a Christian nationalist agenda, a white Christian nationalist agenda. What is it that they're, in your view, trying to do? Because it seems that at least... Mrs. Ziegler is in some way somehow part of the LGBTQ community, or at least sometimes. Well, you know, I, I, what people do in the privacy of their own homes is not of my concern. What is my concern are the student achievement and closing the achievement gap in student outcomes. And what I found so horrifying about this process from the origins of Moms for Liberty when I was first elected a school board member, right through the termination of a school board uh, or, or our superintendent, and then into introducing Hillsdale College white Christian nationalism into public education. And now this, it's a constant distraction. And frankly, 
what what is the most disturbing is the damage that the Ziegler's, along with the Florida legislature, has caused for our LGBT plus students and the black community. Whether it's uh, we can't we have to erase uh, or whitewash black history in order to make sure white students aren't uncomfortable or to hear yeah. don't say gay. Hey, for all the, that time period while you're discovering your own identity. Yeah, and I will note and that SAT damaging. scores. Yeah, I will note that SAT scores have. Indeed, SAT scores have plummeted in the state of Florida. They're now ranked 46 in terms of SAT scores. Bob Norman, I'll give you the last word here. Where does Christian Ziegler stand politically now in the state, and where does this case stand? Well, politically, Christian Ziegler is under tremendous fire. I mean, I just heard before we came on that. Uh, Rick Scott, Senator, who was really behind his wife's political career, who Bridget had not been involved in politics until she put her name in for the school board. And it was Rick Scott that appointed her. It was Rick Scott that met with her and said, yeah. you're, you're good. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna use you um, in our movement. And uh, Rick Scott has come out and called for Christian Ziegler's uh, resignation, which is a yeah. big step. And numerous Republican That's officials uh, across we, the board. We, it's really untenable right now, it seems, un with this very serious investigation way. Indeed. Well, we are out of time, but we're going to keep up with this story. Thank you, Bob Norman and Tom Edwards. That is tonight's readout. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.